Blog Talk Radio. author of the Autistic Holocaust, The Reason Our Children Keep Getting Sick. And um, the government has been deceiving us, and we are the most lied-to nation on the earth. And this book is about autism. Autism is a tremendous problem that affects everyone. It's a major public health crisis, and yet the government refuses to acknowledge it. John Micah's book, The Autistic Holocaust, The Reason Our Children Keep Getting Sick, accuses the federal government of having a corrupt and morally unsound relationship with Big Pharma first noting the dramatic rise in cases of autism in the United States, the autism since 1970. The Autistic Holocaust then discusses the rampant misuse and dangerous and dangers associated with vaccines. Additionally, the book argues that the Center for Disease Control has lied to the American public by presenting inaccurate data on annual flu deaths along with the vaccine safety data and his very damaging research on the perils of vaccines. And this is what's written by a parent of a child suffering from Asperger's syndrome. Well, they've really changed that. It's, yeah, they don't consider it Asperger's anymore. It's, uh, it's autism spectrum disorder. This book is a must-read for anyone concerned with neurological brain disorder. So... John lived, uh, was born in 1959 in Michigan and has lived most of his life in upstate New York. He graduated from Liverpool High School in 1977 and since then has been married twice. He has one child who was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder in 2000 and he's currently living in the Finger Lakes region. He enjoys cycling and playing chess. So we will be calling him in probably at 8.15. So um, yeah. there's a lot of It's sad when uh, that happens to people's children. Very, very sad. And so preventable, that's what, you know. Yeah, that's the problem with this. Uh, very sad. Didn't have to happen. Well, you know what? John Hagee... The king of all creepy Christians says calls for prosecuting women who say God's name during intercourse. 
Could you imagine this idiot Momo from Idiot Land? Okay, John Hagee, you know, makes millions of dollars a year from crazy ass Christians. All right, just saying that any woman. Uh, let's see. Come on now. What are you gonna play with me here? Come on. Yeah. Can't bring up this article here. Hold on a second. going on because that's what we do here at the LA Stool Show. We can't believe these crazy bastards. Alright. So, anyway. English girl converts to Islam, then gets acid attack from breaking up with Muslim man. Wow, what a, what a great deal that was, huh? Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. 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 So, anyway. Let's move on. Teacher, who says, I don't teach Shakespeare because he's white. Wow, what a what an incredible teacher this is, huh? Uh, she's a white girl, too. Unbelievable, crazy, crazy people. Crazy people everywhere. Washington Post has published a guest article by a California teacher arguing that American high school T students shouldn't read Shakespeare because he's a dead white man. <laughs> Dana Deuce-Bieber, who teaches English in Sacramento, says she avoids Hamlet and all of the rest because her minority students shouldn't be expected to study a uh, long-dead British guy. Yeah, it's probably because she doesn't understand the goddamn thing. And while Shakespeare is widely regarded as a premier writer of the English language, able to timely portray themes central to human experience. This Buber uh, says she only is regarded uh, that way because some white people ordained it and he has yeah, easily be replaced. Well, why not teach the oral tradition about Africa, which ex- includes an equally relevant commentary on human behavior, she suggests. Why not teach translations of early writing or oral storytelling from Latin America or Southeast Asia or parts of the world? Many, many of our students come from these languages and traditions. Perhaps we no longer have to have the time to study the Western canon, as so many of us know and hold dear. To bolster her case for dumping the bard, Dust Bibler says that minority students, like those who dominate her classroom, deserve to study their own cultures rather than exposed to Eurocentrism. But at the same time, she takes the exact opposite position for whites, saying school should be a place for them to explore cultures other than their own. Wow, what a brilliant, what a brilliant teacher this is. What a piece of work of the common core system. Oh, love you, love you. What a moron. Liberals say she shouldn't prosecute sexual predators if they are black. Oh, that's interesting, too. There's another genius from the liberal, liberal-leaning Okay, here's a more interesting system. article. Smart cities of the next phase in the 21st century as surveillance grip. The century of big data will be the century of unprecedented surveillance. 
The dream of tyrants down through history has been the total monitoring, control, and management of the public with the ability to predict the behavior of entire populations, the most efficient means of achieving this objective. For the millennia, this has mainly existed in the realm of fantasy. However, with the vast leap in technology in recent decades, the idea is becoming a less dystopian science fiction movie and more the daily business of totalitarian high-tech regimes. Most readers are now familiar with the predatory surveillance practices of agencies such as NASA and GCHQ, which high-level NSA whistleblower William Binney describes as totalitarian in nature, adding that the goal of NSA is to set up the way and means to control the population. Yet many people may not be aware of the next phase in the 21st century surveillance group the smartest city. Let's take a look and see what they mean by the smartest city. And this is from the activist post, by the way. So it'd be interesting to see exactly what they mean by a smartest city. Geniuses everywhere, Lila. Geniuses on every street corner. Promoted by some as a low-cost and efficient way of managing the workings of a city, Others see the surveillance implications of such initiatives as chilling, to say the least. Smart cities are broadly defined as digitally connected urban areas filled with ubiquitous... Oh, this is interesting. One flash. And froze. Huh. Well. Uh, ubiquitous sensitor monitors and meters which collect data on every aspect of a city from energy usage to transport patents. This data is then analyzed. And used by city planners to improve decision making. Today, more than half the world's population lives in urban areas, a trend that is set to accelerate into the future meaning the smart city concept is going to affect the lives of billions of people around the world. India is at the forefront of this push as it plans to build 100 smart cities in the coming years, with Singapore set to become the world's first smart nation. Smart cities are not just confined to Asia, however, as Glasgow, Rio de Janeiro, New Orleans, and Cape Town are just a handful of cities involved in IBM's Smartest Cities Challenge. Furthermore, many of the supporters and proponents of smart initiatives are multinational corporations and notorious foundations, including IBM, Cisco, and the Rockefeller Foundation. The notion of corporate giants managing a smarter planet becomes even more troubling when you consider the history of companies such as IBM, which played a pivotal role in the Holocaust and worked closely with Nazi Germany, giving IBM's dark history, should we trust it with power to regulate and manage numerous cities around the world? In an article for Altanet titled, The Terrifying Smartest City of the Future, Allegra Kirkland details some of the more disturbing aspects of a smarter planet. So, um, Here's what she says. The surveillance impl implications of these sorts of mass data 
data generating civic projects are unnerving, to say the least. Urban designer and author Adam Greenfield wrote on his blog, Speedbirds, that this centralized governing model is disturbingly consonant with the exercise of authoritarianism. To further complicate matters, the vast majority of smart city technology is designed by IT systems giants like IBM and Siemens. In places like Songdu, which was the brainchild of Cisco systems, corporate entities become responsible for designing and maintaining the basic functions of urban life. That is disturbing. Private corporations are the ones measuring and controlling these mountains of data, and they don't have the same accountability to the public that government does. So they're going to be our government. The amount of data generated in recent years has skyrocketed with IBM CEO Ginny Rotmetty noting in a 2013 speech that 90% of all data ever known to man has been created in the last two years. With this trend only set to continue into the future, the race is now on to develop systems to accurately predict the behavior of entire populations through scanning copious volumes of data for behavioral patterns. In Australia, the Federal Crime Commission is now using big data systems to analyze patterns of behavior in a quest to predict criminal activities before they occur. Isn't that shades of a movie that was that was out about two years ago? It seems the world is moving closer to the themes in the 1950s science fiction story by Philip K. Dick and the latter film adaption of the work, The Minority Report. And this okay. article goes on, but it is it's pretty let's, scary. Let's, uh, let's try to reach out to, uh, to our guest tonight. Yeah, I guess this is... Uh, Hello, Johnny Micah speaking. Hey, Johnny Micah, this is Leo from the L.A. Steel Show. How are you, sir? Yeah, okay, who's this? The L.A. Steel Show. So yeah, great. How are you, sir? Good, how are you? All right. Hi, and I'm Lila. I'm the co-host. Nice to meet you, John. Pleased to meet you, Lila. My connection is good. It's a landline, but I'm having, a, you know, it's very hard to hear you. Oh really? We can hear you. You're as clear as the bell. You sound like you're. Oh, I guess that's all that matters. I can, I can, uh, I did this on one or the show. I just got lower reception on your end of it, but I can, I can listen very carefully. Yeah. I, I want to say before we begin that I'm really sorry for you and our listeners uh, for the loss of healthy children, um, and the parents of children who uh, have had the afflicted have the affliction of autism spectrum disorder, and um, I'm very sorry that that's happened to you and to other families in our listening audience. Yeah, Lila is a school counselor um, also, and uh, she she um, is involved with this problem constantly, daily, but um, I was surprised that the... Uh, it went up from 188, from one out of 88 to one out of 68. Now, uh, children are are uh, are autistic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, yeah, I don't mean to interrupt you there, but what what the uh, CDC declared uh, in 2013 was that it was actually one in 50 as an informal survey, 
and then they adjusted it to one in 68. So that is the uh, current rate we have to use. Um, I don't believe it's an accurate rate, but uh, you know, some uh, some people believe, some credible people believe it'll be one out of every two in the next 20 years. Wow. wow. I mean, it's it's so preventable in many instances. That's why it it makes people so angry when they. I'm sure when people read your book, you get a lot of feedback um, about uh, the CDC and what has happened to people in Big Pharma. I mean, it's just amazing how um, we've been abused by them. I agree. Now, it's actually you mentioned. Uh, preventable. Uh, an autistic child will be autistic, uh, you know, unless he does get intervention. And there's been cases that, uh, you know, children have, um, you know, re- reduced their uh, or attenuated their situation to the point where they can function normally. This isn't always the case. Two-thirds of these kids on the autism spectrum disorder uh, will need help for the rest of their lives and are unable to lead a normal life. Uh, it, which is exasperated by the cost of raising a single autistic child, and that was estimated to be $3.2 million by two separate foundations. Wow. Uh, how, how, how are these people expected to, to, to support children at that price? I mean, it's... it's, it's uh, well, you know, it's, it can be... That's if the child gets the best possible care. So, I mean... If you want to do cut rate, you can spend less than that. But, you know, a child is going to cost money that has autism. And depending on what scale they're on, it's it's going to be more. Depending if you want the best therapy for your child, and most people do, uh, it's going to cost more. And, and some people have insurance coverage. Uh, if you're on an autism spectrum disorder, you're eligible for certain services. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll give you an example. If, if you had uh, last year, prior to the Diagnostic Statistical Manual of uh, uh mental disorders, that's the DSM-5 now, DSM-4, that's how we determine mental disorders. Uh, Asperger's was included in that, and uh, they did away with the definition. Uh, There's no more such thing as Asperger's. Uh, I would venture to guess tens and thousands of kids are knocked out of the box of available services uh, that they need. And, you know, they're still uh, Asperger's, but, you know, now we don't have a name and we don't have any services for you children. So it does make it tougher, and some parents have actually sold their homes, everything they have to take care of autistic children. Uh, you know, it can be a very tragic situation, but we do everything we can to save our child. Can you talk a little bit about vaccinations and um, the fact that parents are almost compelled to have those now, where their children can't go to public school? It's very difficult. Yeah, we're talking about mandatory vaccinations. Actually, that was uh, initiated... Uh, a foundation, Every Child by Two, uh, Rosalind Carter, Jimmy Carter's wife, and uh, Bumpers, uh, R- Rosalind Carter Bumpers, established uh, vaccinations in several states, and it uh, grew into what it is now, mandatory vaccinations, uh, one-size-fits-all, cookie-cutter uh, analogy or implementation. And then now, uh, you know, it, it, unless you have a rel- religious exemption or a philosophical exemption, or if you have uh, a medical reason why your child can't be vaccinated, uh, they aren't going to be able to go to school or attend school. And, you know, let's go a step further. Let's look at what the government's recently tried to implement, and that's every man, woman, and child receiving a mandatory vaccine, which is determined by the uh, Advisory Committee on Immunization and Practices. Mm -hmm. Well, I know that... um 
in a hospital here in Connecticut, uh, nurses were required to get certain uh, immunizations, and unless they did, they were fired. Well, well, uh, yeah, let, let's go back only like four years, not even two years. Uh, Joan Beecher was a, in Southern Connecticut University. She was a, a nursing professor. And, you know, she got her second only um, vaccination, and she was, the, for all intensive purposes, a picture of good health. And she got something called GBS, which is Guillain-Barre syndrome. It's a paralyzing disease, a neurological yep. disorder. It can, uh, can be very painful. And, uh, my God, she got that as a result of a flu shot. The doctors determined it was a flu shot. It was the worst case I'd ever seen. And at the time Joan was there, there were seven known cases of uh, GBS. Now, these things are supposed to be reported to the vaccine uh, adverse event uh, reporting system, and only 1% to 10% of all cases are reported, whether they're adverse or whether they're, you know, from anything from a scratch to anything. And what was the result with her? She she got uh, this syndrome, and what happened to her as a result of it? How is she now? she She was paralyzed, and she's in constant pain. Uh, so you imagine the worst pain you can you can possibly feel, and that's what she goes so through. What every was second. the What was the vaccine that she had? Flu shot. Flu shot. Just a regular flu shot. And what regular flu shot? What was determined as the cause of that in the flu shot? Uh, well, you've got adjuvants in there. You got. By the way, in in, in a flu shot, you've got thimerosal. Depending on which one, you know, there's several. Uh, uh, thimerosal, which is a preservative, 49% uh, mercury by weight. So you got mercury in there. Um, you know, you've got a whole, maybe aluminum, and you know, got a whole list of things in vaccines. Oh, and the flu shot oh. can be uh, negligible at best. Uh, you know, the CDC came out uh, last year and said it was 9% effective. So nine, I don't know if they do any good or not. Yeah. Yeah. So was she able to, uh, could you share with our listeners if she was able to sue and get some compensation? That I can't speak to. The information I was given uh, just allows me to tell you her story and uh, what happened to her as a result of getting the flu shot. Okay. All right. But talk a little bit about like, uh, yeah. what happens to people, to their children, if they try to sue. The uh, Well, you can sue. They, in fact, uh Let's go back to history. That's what, you know, really, we got to use that as a basis for everything. And back in the 70s, you know, people get flu shot and vaccines, of course. And, uh, you know, the parents uh, were suing. There, there were only nine uh, litigations back in the 70s. And, uh, and then it grew to 200 a year, and the vaccine matchers, manufacturers pulled out. Now, Lateral Laboratories was the only one left, and they exceeded their... Uh, Liabilities were going to be greater than it cost to manufacture the flu. So what the government did was they enacted the uh, uh, National Childhood Vaccine uh, uh, Injury Act. And, uh, you know, they said, well, guess what? Uh, Even if there's injury or death, uh, you can't sue the vaccine manufacturers. Uh, So they had a carte blanche to uh, do whatever they want. Uh, And, you know, so and and, and then, uh, you know, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program actually paid uh, I don't know, I guess $2.3 billion approximately to injured uh, claimants since the inception of what they call the omnibus autism proceedings. Now, this was a, a no-fault system uh, for litigants uh, to take up the vaccines, which are on uh, t- uh, compensated table injuries. And they have to prove 
that the vaccination they get uh, is associated uh, with the injury of their child. And this has been done in many, many cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a long battle. It's like seven years. You've got three special masters overseeing thousands and thousands of cases. And, and when it comes to autism, there's not a lot of established science, and for there's reasons for this, how, how that's related to neuro, neurological diseases, especially when you're talking about thimerosal. So, um, you know, you gotta, you got to go about it the smart way. Uh, Bailey Banks got an $800,000 award because it was determined his ADEM, that's acute disseminated uh, encephalomyelitis, was the result of, uh, you know, this well, by the way, that's a that's a disorder where our own immune, immune system attacks our brain tissue, and the judge determined that because of his shots, uh, he was uh, received. Uh, you know that contributed to his uh, pervasive developmental disorder, which is not otherwise specified. That resulted in his autism. So uh, they didn't really say his shots resulted in autism. What they said was it resulted in his uh, PDD. NOS, uh, Pervasive Devel- Developmental Disorder, and mm-hmm. gave him a award uh, based on that. And that's definitely on, on the uh, autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, P- uh, yeah, you can sue, but you got to, you know, you, there's, three, uh, there's three government ages, agencies that comprise that, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. They're the respondents, uh, U.S. Department of Justice and U.S. Court of Federal Claims. They, they're the ones that determine who's get paid and how much they get. So there's your vaccine court right there, and uh, there's no other recourse, and that's the way you go. And uh, Well, how are they working together, this big farmer and the FDA work together? You have a um, this relationship in the government. Are, are they not being held to any standards, these drug companies? or Well, there's no accountability. And, and you know, look at the Homeland Security Act. Uh, let's just take vaccines, for example. Um, you know, of course, George Bush enacted that November 11th, I think it was, of 2002. And uh, under a red herring of national defense, uh, what they stated with vaccines were included in that. And uh, you could not sue a vaccine manufacturer, uh, even due to injury or death, as a result of uh, negligent, uh, and you know, negligence, uh, willful negligence. In fact, if they poison us and they know they're poisoning us, we still can't sue them. And who knows where that came from? That was an 11th writer put into a bill, just like the Monsanto's Protection Act. And, of course, the government does have a, a relationship with, with the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, you know, you've got lobbyists, power, powerful lobbyists that influence everything. Uh, you've also got, uh, you know, the uh, PDUFA, the Prescription Drug, Drug User Fee Act, which was enacted by uh, uh, 1992 by, by Bush 1. And, you know, that uh, that also gave it the accelerated uh, approval priority uh, program. So these drugs uh, could get to market faster, even some that aren't, uh, that should never have been out there. And, and with the uh, a, a quickened approval process, uh, you know, you could bring a drug, you know, based on efficacies or efficiencies in their uh, phase two uh, trial testings and uh, prove everything later in phase three. Uh, and, and so they got again uh, the will to do whatever they want, and, and you know these monies that they come up there's there's fees they come up with uh, millions to hundreds of thousands of dollars, and they give that to the FDA to get their uh, uh, prescription drug drug user fee act and their accelerated uh, approval priority review. You talk a lot about vaccinations. What um, what advice would you give 
parents of children, of, of young children? What should they do? Well, I would say I would say educate themselves. A lot of people don't know, and part of the reason I wrote this book, it, it, it took me a few years, a couple years at least, and I spent maybe I don't know ten thousand hours putting this together. So where do you go? Do you go to the internet? You get information from the CDC. You get a lot of people telling you. You, you mentioned it earlier, you know, that we're crazy if we don't get a shot and don't you know give any credibility to the other side. But educate yourself like more time than you would buy, you know, spending to buy a car or warranty or house. Uh, we're talking about our kids' health here. And our vaccinations, should they not be given? I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying we should be fully informed. And if our child has, uh, you know, a medical condition which would not allow him to, we should take a look at that. We should document everything. Is there an adverse event to a vaccination? Some children are going to be fine and some aren't. We're all comprised differently and our immune systems operate differently. Most autistic children have irritable bowel syndrome. They're in, you know, it's compromised. Uh, our uh, immune system originates from our gut. And if that's compromised, we can't chelate these toxins like heavy metals out of our system. For example, uh, thimerosal. So that's just one, one instance in one case I can think of. Well, it's almost like asking parents to roll the dice. I mean, how do they know these things before? Ah, well, the thing is, we don't know that these vaccin- vaccinations, uh, you know, we have a, we can make an educated guess because before, okay, baby well visits, uh, you know, 18 months of age, Hannah Pauling went in and she got uh, DD, uh, DTAP, uh, uh, diphtheria, pertussis, uh, tetanus. Uh, she right. got, uh, whoop, well, that's for the whooping cough, uh, the chickenpox varicella vaccine and uh, measles, mumps, and rubella, and the influenza, hemophilus influenza. And she came down with autism. And, you know, here we are talking seven years uh, going through trial. Uh, through trial. But if you had a child and, and he had a shot, I might suspect that the shot itself is responsible to some degree or an extent uh, for my child's illness and uh, his problem and my problem now. How am I going to take care of this kid? So, oh, yeah, I- so... You know, the kids should know. They, by the way, she got a $1.5 million award and $500,000 a year for the rest of her life. So you're talking about maybe $20, $20 million claim. That was uh, the, the government sealed the records, so nobody knows how they uh, determined that. They just said, you guys, we, you know, we, you guys win. Um, no, so they conceded that. But Nine shots. Is that true? She had nine immunizations on one day? In one day, yeah. And so did Congressman Burton. His grandson went in and got nine vaccinations in one day, uh, multivalent and, uh, you know, single-shot vaccinations. And uh, he regressed into autism, uh, you know, not soon, not long after he got the shots. And so Congressman Burton, you know, he used to be the chair for the Oversight Committee on Government Review. He led nine hearings uh, and brought scathing reports to pharma and, and government involvement and vaccines and thimerosal. And uh, it kind of fell on deaf ears uh, because these pharmas, uh, you know, they have so much money. Yeah. Um, and, and so the book I have on, on autism, it's a, autism is about other things too, but, hey, listen, it's 164 pages and you can read it in five hours. Uh, I could have made the book a 1,000 pages, but who would read it? I wouldn't, you know, so this is an easy read for me. Anybody can read. And, if, of course, if you're having children, there's certain things we can do uh, to make sure you know, first of all, that we have a healthy child, and, and second of all, 
uh, we detect the autistic uh, spectrum disorder early, like maybe at three years of age or two years of age. My son wasn't diagnosed officially with an ASD until he was 28 years of age. So oh you can God. see that getting involved early makes a big, big difference. Oh, yeah, it really does. Why do you think it was it was it took so long to diagnose him? Well, he was diagnosed before he was eight years of age, and uh, you know you got three years to file a claim uh, with vaccine uh, vaccine court, uh, and uh, you know it has to be a table related injury, and you know there's cer- certain vaccines that are covered that are listed as uh, something you can sue for, so yeah. it's all very specific and. And some kids regress into autism very shortly after. Uh, you know, if if you are diagnosed usually before eight years of age, before eight years of age, um, and you know, you're going to notice a difference in your kid. I noticed when Johnny was growing up. Uh, you know, he told me uh, he had Aspergers, and uh, he was uh, he was taken out of school, had behavior problems, communicative problems. I thought he had uh, uh, delays in his mental abilities and development. And uh, I thought I might have been a bad father. Who knows? You know, I didn't know. And then I did a little more research, and you know, I got digging into it. So the book doesn't just talk about autism, how to treat it. Uh, there's organizations that actually do good for oh, you yeah. know have known to help autistic children and their parents. So yes, there's help and there's support and and there's all kinds of things you can do. ABA therapy, you know, that's involving sight, sound, and touch. And you know, these kids they have to learn these things. They have to learn them. And they got, you know, they got to get the poisons out of their body. That's the first thing. So diet uh, is very important. Oh, very. I'm sorry, what's you, that? Said that you mentioned in your book that your son never cried. As a, no, in- not when he was younger. He never cried at all. He was. I thought he was the best baby on the planet. You know, and uh, uh, I, I talk a- about. I talk about how our relationship was. I don't just get into talking about. This is my relationship. I have a. A bipolar condition is quite severe. I didn't know that a bipolar condition would uh, make my my son at risk of of having uh, an autistic spectrum disorder. So again, go back to parents who are having children. Yeah, just educate yourself. Uh, you know, know a little bit about the history and you know what is associated, and just know some of the signs and symptoms. So that is the main thing you can do. And and I would encourage everybody to do a little information, a little digging on your own. Um, what about and again, um, what about genetically modified food? How do you how do you think that affects? Well, I think I think there's a, an association there, and if you go look up Jeffrey Smith, I talk about him uh, and his responsible, you know, Institute of Responsible Technology, and, and, and incidentally, there are foods which are genetically modified, like corn, soy. Uh, cotton, alfalfa, canola oil, beets, uh, I, I'm sorry, uh, squash, long neck squash, pineapples from, I think, uh, China. Um, and so, you know, and there's derivatives of all these things in 85% of the food we don't even know uh, exist. But do these things, well, they've been known to hurt animals. But there's no real studies on how they affect people. But uh, one doctor, Jeffrey Smith, interviewed, said uh, all of her patients, 5,000 of them, uh, she suggested they change their diet to foods that do not contain or contain very little uh, genetically uh, modified organisms or foods. And they all got better. So I think we have to look at the anecdotal evidence 
and mm-hmm. uh, it speaks very clearly and makes a very compelling argument uh, to the fact that we should label these things and give people a choice. And they're going to get uh, big, big stinks from the multinationals because they're, they're, it's going to cost them billions and billions of dollars. Well, certainly other countries are more forward-thinking than we are. Uh, well, when it comes to health, we, you know, it was brought up in the uh, Oversight Committee on Government Reform uh, in 2012. Uh, we rate, uh, I think, 34th out of, uh, you know, our health care system needs addressing. I won't even get into that, but uh, <laughs> there's many things I didn't mention in the book. But, um, you know, yeah, other countries don't vaccinate as much as we do. And, uh, you know, they, they say... Uh, no, we're not having any more uh, GMOs here, genetically uh, engineered there's, products. There's so many countries right now that are kicking uh, Monsanto out. Yeah, I think there's I think there's like 64. But, you know, it's the tipping point, as Jeffrey Smith said. And it, we've voted here in the United States, Proposition 37 in Cali- California was first, and they got uh, turned down. Uh, it was uh, released by the media that the election was over three hours before it actually was over. So they estimated 2.4 million people didn't vote on that, and it was a marginal vote. And they spent millions of dollars on, uh, you know, uh, anti-labeling campaigns, as do all the other places that that vote against these things. Vermont was the first state in the in the country to uh, require mandatory labeling of GMO foods, and there's many other uh, places that uh, states that are trying to enact that as well. Um, but that, and, you know. Law. Yep. That that crazy law that they passed was was dependent upon other states uh, 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 following Adjacent suit. States. Yeah, that's right. You got to have so many. Yeah, like in Connecticut, Vermont. You got to have so many surrounding people in in like five connecting states or four connecting states to get on the same petition. So the Monso, yeah. Mons, Monsanto Monsanto uh, somebody like to say Monsanto Protection Act. You know, uh, state, no, you can't with you know you got to take our seeds. You know, you can't pull off the shelf. You know, so they sort of force people to do business with them, uh, and, oh, yeah. and that's part I mean, of the problem. And in yep. India now, there's a, there's a plague happening of suicides uh, of farmers who are yeah. Doing- well, we we let's look at uh, and there's a whistleblower in there. Um, read you know read the book and his name is hard to pronounce for me, uh, but. It's estimated up to this point over 250,000 farmers have committed suicide. And, you know, we have it's a di- different culture here. And, yeah, and their crops fail. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's an honor and dishonor. So they can't make a living. So they kill themselves, some by drinking the uh, yeah. the glyphosate, the, the Roundup. That's a terrible death. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's it's very tragic. It's. Uh, I mean, to me, to me the, the, the most absurd, most most foolish, idiotic thing that I heard today was that, what, after 20 years of people saying that trans fats are, are no good for you, all right, suddenly the FDA came out today and said that they're banning all trans fats, okay, artificial trans fats in, uh, in, in the food, all right? Yeah, and, so uh, you know... Means- yeah, uh, you know, let's look at the movie Sleeper by Woody Allen. You know, smoking was found good. Hey, I think honestly, you know, scientists are going to look back on this um, years from now, and they're going to they're going to say, why were these people doing this? You know, we're looking at century-old technology to vaccinate. They're coming out with vaccines in lettuce form. You know, so there's well, things we're working on. The national, uh, international pro- uh, program 
to a, for, of a genocide. I mean, that's mm. exactly what's going on. Well, I Bill mean, and Melinda Gates, uh, you know, along with the Gavi, uh, the global yeah. uh, uh, global assistance of uh, vaccination uh, uh, right. immunization practices, you know, did a, a, a polio campaign in India in 2013, and 48,000 children were paralyzed. So, oh, do, yeah. do, well, are vaccines? His, Bill yeah? Gates' what? father was a well-known eugenicist. Oh well, I wasn't his father the founder of. Planned Parenthood, something to that effect, you know. So he was, and yeah. he came out in a TED conference and said, uh, through population reduction, things would be fine. So everybody yeah. points at that, and uh, you know, but look at all the good he does. He, he, you know, I'm not pointing, I'm not saying you guys are bad, you guys are anti-science, the people against. Wait a minute, what, what good they have some credible things to say, but again, look at look at the harm these things do. Look at the del- delivery and frequency system that we have. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's absurd. And, I mean, now you have the United Nations uh, uh, spokeswoman coming out and says that, saying recently that genocide was the way to solve the problems in the world. And she was a devout... Yes, yep. Well, we got, we got a problem coming up here with food. I mean, underlying agenda is to vaccinate every man, woman, and child. You know, back in 1977, there was a doctor well, named Archie... A lot more Go ahead, than that. I mean, you're dealing well, with yeah, but, but that's that's the ultimate plan is, is to vaccinate yeah. everybody, and uh, the you know they've even TV. done that to step up mortality rates in in the past. So unbelievable, mm-hmm. yeah, it's totally unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, when you figure that the rate, I I don't know if you're familiar with the Global 2000 report, but it was signed by Jimmy Carter and signed off by Ronald Reagan, signed off by Bush, signed off by, by Clinton, signed off by every president until mm-hmm. now. And even this asshole in the office now, okay, they he signed off on it. And it's the Global 2000 report is a dead is a deadline, okay, basically a project. You can Google this up. It's not it's not it's real. No secret. No, of modifying and and reducing human population by 20,000 by 2050 by two thirds. All right, two thirds of the world population. Yep. Well, you know, and again, we're we're going beyond the scope of what we're talking about, and and but in regard, we're not, you know. So, uh, yes, so we the have way they're doing it, they're doing it through war, they're doing it through genetically modified foods, they're doing it through chemtrailing, they're doing it through water pollution, air pollution, they're doing it through every uh, war, definitely, okay, and outright genocide. And I mean, they're doing it daily, and they're doing it in front of us, and they're doing it, you know, with their with their finger at us. Like, well, there are laws you know, protecting. There are laws protecting these organizations, and you know yeah, what can we yeah. do? Well, we we can change the laws. Uh, constituents, you know, we have the biggest employer, the government, but there's more of us than there is of them. So it's a matter of educating yourself, saying something, having a meeting, uh, you know, uh, calling your constituents and, and saying, you know, vote no on this proposition, vote no on that, and they they listen to us. It's very difficult, though, when with the, with the amount of yeah. money that corporations are pouring into Congress. And it doesn't I mean, really that's matter. Why, right? That's why we have a Congress that's so deadlocked. And it doesn't. Because there is so much money from pharmaceutical companies, from yes. financial organizations, from um, manufacturing. And they from the write, outright, and and they from write the, the laws. And from the outright stupidity of the American people. Oh, not just American people, but I mean, all you got to do is look up in the air, and you'll see the chemtrails. You see these, you see this happening. You know, 
Uh, you know, the well, groundwater. You know, I, I could, you know, I could argue in favor of everything you're saying. Uh, the only other thing is, uh, you know, um, I just wanted a chance to uh, to tell you that, um, you know, this is uh, this is the book. Uh, it's the Autistic Holocaust. It's through Chine Day Publishing. Uh, you can also go uh, to me at j o n dot e dot mica m i c a at isp dot com. Um, and you can order the book. It's nine ninety five on Kindle. You know, Amazon uh, paperback nineteen ninety five. I don't know how much Great. time we have left here. I know it's a forty five minute uh, interview. Uh, well, we're just about uh, winding up. And um, I really advise everyone, anybody who's thinking of having children, to read your book. I mean, these are things that people should know, especially people who are who are thinking of having a child or another child, because it is a roll of the dice. You really need to think carefully when you get a vaccination, even if you're an adult. Yeah. Yep. I mean, uh, look up the National Childhood Vaccine Information Center, Barbara Lowe Fisher. And she, it's mm-hmm. point by point and uh, recourse, uh, you know, how to file a claim, uh, what you should do in the event of vaccine injuries, because they do happen. And uh, good some, yeah. maybe goods come, goods come, good things come from the vaccinations, but a lot of bad things do, so... Yeah, well, I think you have oh. to have to know before you do it. You I, should did, be I, think, I, I think you're better off without it. Uh, uh-huh. um, well, a lot of people do. You know, I'm not going to recommend these things to my children, hey, my loved one ones. Out of 68 and, people. Well, you know, if, if you want to do it, that's fine. I'm not saying you don't. But I should I should be informed consent, all, and I should have the choice of making that decision for myself. But based on your information, one out of 68 people should not have the vaccination. <laughs> well, that's just one out of 68 uh, pr- uh, yeah, that's, that's prevalence rate. That's all that is. And, and you know, <laughs> it, it used to be 5 in 10,000, 1 in 10,000. So here we are with a big problem. And there's other things uh, that go into the vaccine that make it harmful uh, to us. Sure. So I was surprised that your statistics are 1 of 68. Uh, maybe yeah. even worse now. But well, I hope I hope you sell a lot of books. And I think it would be an important book to maybe have in a doctor's office. I don't think you'll ever get it there, but I but I would I would like to see it in a in a obstetrician's office. Like to see it at a PTA meeting. Yes, the people. Uh, you might see it in a PTA meeting, but I don't I don't think you're going to find it uh, where there's a a opposition. Office, <laughs> but thank you very much for being on the show, and uh, thank you for writing your book. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Okay. Okay. Good night, John. And good night, John. Thank you. Very okay. Much. Good night. Good night. And that was John. Micah. Uh, Micah. From the autistic Holocaust: The reason our children keep getting sick. He. It's a very easy to read book. It really outlines how it happens, and if you're informed, then you can decide what you think you should do. I mean, I don't know. And when I I had kids, we didn't know any of these things, so we just kind of. You went into the pediatrician's office and they you told your, you... You got your bunch of vaccines, but you didn't realize your kid was getting, uh, was was stupid because of it. You know, terrible. Really terrible. That they'd yeah. have developmental delays yeah. and all kinds of things. Well, you know, and you don't really know whether how your child's going to react. You, you have no idea, and it's one in 68 children have... Horrible, horrible consequences. Really? A lifetime of punishment because of it. It's terrible. And then sometimes they, you can't you can't sue and you can't get compensated, and I don't know how people pay for this. 
for the things they have to do to help their children. Yeah, really. it, it's it's such a burden to well, them, and a heartache. Getting off the subject a little bit, uh, RNC, the Republican National Committee, officially awkwardly refuses to denounce Trump's anti-immigrant creed. <laughs> Hours after Donald Trump launched into an anti-immigrant uh, tirade during his presidential campaign announcement and claimed that Mexican immigrants are rapists and drug dealers, a top Republican Party official has done nothing to denounce those comments. Well, what I heard is that, and just a little piece of what he said, is that he's going to build a wall around Mexico. Yeah, good for him. It didn't make any sense to me. And then he was going to get Mexico to pay for it. That's what he said. Okay. Well, Steve Spicer, the Republican National Committee's chief. uh, Sean Spicer. Yeah, okay. Strategist of communications director told CNN that Trump's comments were not helpful to the cause of making the Republican Party inclusive to Latino voters. But also immediately, Spicer pivoted to the topic of improving border security. CNN commentator, uh, there's a lot of Hispanic voters who will not be happy, Sean, with uh, Donald Trump saying something like that. Let me read from the GOP post-mortem, the autopsy. Uh, Among the steps uh, Republicans take in the Hispanic community and beyond, we must embrace and champion uh, comprehensive immigration reform, and it talks about inclusivity. Uh, so how does that need square with the kind of rhetoric you that you hear from Donald Trump using? Well, Spicer said, I mean, as far as painting Mexican Americans with the kind of brush, I think that's probably something that's not helpful to the cause. But I think to the issue of illegal immigration, Mr. Trump and others have addressed that we need to be very firm on border security and look at ways to make sure America has fixed fixed its broken immigration problem and find a way to allow for people from whether it's Mexico, Canada, Europe, or wherever to enter this country in a more systemic and more helpful way to overall, uh, I think. Uh, let's, Let's just hear this a little piece here. Appeal to Hispanic and other minority voters. This is what um, he said. When Mexico sends its people, they're not sending their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people that have lots of problems, and they're bringing those problems with us. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. But I speak to border guards, and they tell us what we're getting. And it only makes common sense. It only makes common sense. Now, there are a lot of Hispanic voters who will not be happy, Sean, with Donald Trump saying something like that. And let me read from the GOP uh, postmortem, the autopsy. It says, among the steps Republicans take in the Hispanic community and beyond, we must embrace and champion comprehensive immigration reform. And it talks about inclusivity. So... How does that need square with the kind of rhetoric that you hear Donald Trump using? Well, I mean, as far as painting uh, Mexican-Americans with that kind of a brush, I think that's probably something that is not helpful to the cause. Uh, But I I think to the issue of illegal immigration, uh, Mr. Trump and others have addressed that, that we need to be very firm on border security and look at ways to make sure that America has fixes its broken immigration problem and finds a way 
to, to allow for people from whether it's Mexico, Canada, Europe, or wherever to enter this country in a more systematic and, and helpful way to our overall economy. Okay, I want to ask you. All right, so that's that for that. I can forget that crap. Okay, it's kind of interesting though. But, well, did you know that smoking marijuana is 114 times safer than drinking alcohol? Depends how much you have of it. As the debate over marijuana legalization continues in the United States, a new study suggests that smoking the controversial plant is about 114 times safer than drinking. Wow. That was interesting. Uh, Drinking alcohol. In fact, alcohol was found to be the deadliest drug on an individual level, at least when it comes to the likelihood of a person dying due to consuming a lethal dose. Heroin and cocaine were next most deadly suckers. Uh, imagine that. Alcohol was first mm-hmm. over heroin or cocaine. Uh, followed by tobacco, ecstasy, and meth. Uh, trailing uh, up the rear was marijuana. According to the team of international researchers published in the journal Scientific, the findings suggest that marijuana risks, at least those related to mortality, are trumped when compared to substantial substances like alcohol. That's very interesting. I thought. But anyway, those of you who don't think, too bad. Too bad. Let's see what else we got here. Brilliant stuff tonight. Um, the new NASA data show how the world is running out of water. That's pretty sad. Oh, boy. Yeah. Well, when you have... Companies like Nestle yeah. draining all the aquifers. The world's largest underground aquifers, <coughs> a source of fresh water for hundreds of millions of people, are being depleted uh, at alarming rates, according to the new NASA uh, satellite data that provides the most detailed picture yet of vital water reserves hidden under the Earth's surface. 21 of the world's 37 largest aquifers in location from India and China to the United States and France have passed their sustainability tipping, tipping point, meaning more water was removed than replaced during the decade-long study period, uh, researchers found Tuesday. Thirteen aquifers declined at rates that put them into the most troubled category. These researchers said this indicated a long-term problem that's likely to worsen as reliance on aquifers grows. Scientists and long-suspected Scientists had long suspected that humans were taxing the world's underground water supply, but the NASA data was the first detailed assessment to demonstrate that major aquifers were indeed struggling to keep pace with demand from agriculture, growing populations, and industries such as mining. The situation is quite critical, said James uh, Fleming Luddy, a senior water scientist at NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory in California, principal investigator of the University of California, Irvine, led studies. Underground aquifers supply 35% of the water used by humans worldwide. Demand is even greater in times of drought. While rain-starved California is currently tapping aquifers for 60% of its water use as it rises as rivers and other ground reservoirs dry up, a steep increase from the usual 40%. 
Some aqua, some expected water from aquifers will account for virtually every drop of the state's fresh water supply by year end. The aquifers under the most stress are in poor, densely populated regions such as northern India, Pakistan, and North Africa, where alternatives are limited and water shortages could quickly lead to instability. The researchers used NASA's GRACE satellites to take precise measurements of the world's underground uh, aquifers. And uh, the satellites detected subtle changes in the Earth's gravitational pull, noting where the heavier weight of water exerted a greater pull on the orbiting spacecraft. Uh, (coughs) Slight changes in aquifer water levels were charted over a decade from 2003 to 2013. Mm. This has really been our first chance to see how large reservoirs change over time, says Jordan Grant, uh, research uh, in Oregon who was not involved in the studies, but the NASA satellites could not measure the total capacity of the aquifers. And the size of these tucked away water supplies remains something of a mystery still. The satellite data indicated that some aquifers must be maybe much smaller than previously believed, and most estimates of aquifer reserves are uncertainty ranges across orders of magnitude. Aquifers can take thousands of years to fill up and only slowly recharge with water from snow melt and rains. Now, as drilling for water has taken off across the globe, the hidden water reservoirs are being stressed. The water table is dropping all over the world, and there's not an infinite supply of water. Mm. The health of the world's aquifers varied widely, mostly dependent on how they were used. In Australia, for example, the Canning Basin in the, in the country's western end, has the third largest rate of depletion in the world, but the greatest artesian basin to the east was among the healthiest. The, the difference the studies found is likely attributable to heavy gold and iron ore mining, mining and ore and gas exploration near the Canyon Basin. Those are water-intensive activities. The world's most stressed aquifer, defined as suffering rapid depletion with little or no sign of recharging was the Arabian aquifer, a water source used by more than 60 million people. That was followed by the Indus Basin in India and Pakistan, the Mazuric, the Hado Basin in Libya and Niger. California's Central Valley aquifer was most troubled in the U.S. It is being drained to irrigate farm fields, where drought has led to an explosion in the number of water wells being drilled. California only last year passed its first extensive groundwater regulations, but the new law could take two decades to take full effect. Wow. They're in real trouble out there. Oh, they're in bad shape. They're building uh, plants to take uh, to take the salt out of the salt water. I don't like the fact that it's going to be draining the ocean. Yeah, me neither. Sounds like we got trouble here. You're frozen. Yeah. We are frozen in time. Let's mm-hmm. get some kind of time work problem there. Okay. Now, we'll end with this. Suicide rate of female military veterans is called staggering. Isn't that frightening? It is. I thought that was, uh, you know, I really did. Um, we'll end with this tonight. Um, if we can get it up. <coughs> uh. New 
government research shows that female military veterans commit suicide at nearly six times the rate of other women, a startling finding that experts say poses disturbing questions about the background and experiences of women who serve in our armed forces. Well, you get you know what's happening is you're going to get an ad. Yeah, I know, but it blacks out the whole damn thing. Yeah, that's what happens. Goddamn Los Angeles Times ad. No thanks. All right. Um, man. Uh, let's see. I don't want to. Okay, female veterans in June 8th, Section A, an article about the high rate of suicide among female veterans said that Pentagon found that an estimated 10% of active-duty women were raped and another 13% suspected to other unwanted sexual contact. In fact, the 2012 Defense Department survey found that 23% of active-duty women had experienced a sexual assault, but it did not distinguish between rape and other kinds of sexual assault. Though suicide has become a major issue for military over the last decade, most research by the Pentagon and the Veterans Affairs Department are focused on men who account for more than 90% of the nation's 22 million former troops. Little has been known about the veteran, uh, female veteran suicide. The rates are highest among young veterans. The VA found in new research compiling 11 years of data for women 18 to 29 veterans kill themselves at a nearly 12 times the rate of non-veterans. Oh, my God. In every other age group, including women who serve as far back as the 1950s, the veterans' rates are be- between four and eight times higher, indicating that the causes extend far beyond the psychological effect of the recent years. The data includes all 173,969 adult suicides, men and women veterans and non-veterans in 23 states between 2000 and 2010. It is not clear what is driving the rate. The VA researchers and experts who reviewed the data from the Times said there were myriad possibilities, including whether the military had disproportionately drawn women at higher suicide risk and whether sexual assault and other traumatic experiences <coughs> were serving played, uh, while serving played a role. Mm-hmm. But whatever the cause, the consistency across age groups suggests a long-standing pattern. And we've been missing something that now we can see, said Michael Schoenberg, the epidemiologist and military suicide researcher at the National Institute of Health, uh, Mental Health, who has no part in the of, who has no part of the work. <laughs> if he has no part of the work, why are they quoting him? I don't understand that. <laughs> well, we're right to the, the end of our show anyway. Death of 24-year-old Kate, Katie Lynn Cena is one of a dozen cases the Times identified in Los Angeles and San Diego counties. Cena's death highlights two likely factors in the rape. First, she had reported being raped by a fellow service member, and the Pentagon has estimated that 10% of women in the military have been raped while serving, and another 13 subjected to unwanted sexual contact. And a deep-rooted problem that has gained attention in recent years as more victims come forward. The distress uh, forced Cecina out of the Navy, uh, and so on. This article goes on quite a ways, mm-hmm. but uh, our time is up now, and I would like to say you can go to this, you can go to uh, uh, Los Angeles Times and check out Suicide Rate of veterans, Military Veterans, called Staggering. And we uh, like
tonight. We appreciate We want to thank you for joining us tonight. We want to thank uh, uh, our friend uh, John E. Micah for, uh, for his book. And, the Autistic yeah, Holocaust. And we wish you a very, 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 very good evening. And, uh, you know. And right. you can get it from Trine Day. Yeah, Trine Day. 1-800-556-2912. I'll go to, um, what's, the, what's the website here? Autistic Holocaust. Check that out. Trine Day is the publisher, or you can get it from, you can go to trineday.com. They have a website, and you can... Yeah, just go Autistic Holocaust, you know. And something will come up for that. Autistic Holocaust. You can get it from Amazon. Yep. So So check it out. Check it out, especially if if you're thinking of having children. You want to have informed, you want to be informed about things. Good night, everybody. And good night.